Let's all stand. I do believe it all. Amen. I believe every word of the blessed book, all that it has to say. Let's come and gather around the altar, all that will. Let's take this service to the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us tonight and work in our hearts and move. It's already been a blessing to be here. Amen. And let's pray. Father, tonight we love you. We thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for the glorious truth of your coming to this earth. To become man. Thank you, Lord, for your death on the, on, on the cross. And then for your glorious resurrection. And then for the wonderful promise that you're coming back again. For all of these things, we thank you for and we rejoice. Now touch us tonight in this service. We need a blessing and I pray you'll move now. And we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing and worship.
be seated. Let's let rushers come forward to receive our offering tonight and encourage you to be faithful in your giving. Let me ask you to add one name to your hospital list. Delcy Hall is at Memorial Hospital. And then one announcement we forgot to get in the bulletin and on the screen is uh, Melody Childers. Her wedding is this Saturday at 2 o'clock, and you're all invited to that. Let's pray. Father, bless the offering. Continue to move in the service. In Jesus' name, amen.
more trouble or strife. We will live through the ages by that beautiful tree of life. With the glad tomorrow, with the saints I'll stand. I'll put on my crown and walk around all over God's promised land. Yeah, glory, glory, what a wonderful day. Oh, yeah. When I get to heaven and the strength, I'll put on tonight as the choir is coming down. Victory in Jesus. Get out. Let's shake hands with everyone you possibly can. Let them know you're glad to see them and that they're welcome here tonight. Then we'll sing.
For all of you that need a book, turn over to page 526. Come on, Terry, get your book, Terry. Turn over to 526 so you can see the words, all right? 526, Victory in Jesus, all right? All right, now let's all start all together now. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood atoning Then I repented of my sin I started to get up here and apologize for the way I get so nervous. Some of you have picked that up. Christy Delaney said my legs up there the other time were about to shake off the platform. But you know, I got to thinking about it. You know, if I ever get up here with the wrong spirit and wrong attitude, I'm just going to get back down because I tell you what, I just want the Lord to get all the honor and glory. And uh, I'm just so glad that God says make a joyful noise because that's what I try to do. But uh, I wanted to tell you something before we sing this song about something happened uh, a long time ago when my son was about nine months old. And we took him to the doctor for his nine-month checkup. And the doctor said he detected what he thought was a heart murmur. Later they found out that it was called a patent ductus arteriosus. And as soon as he said that, Brenda and I just, you could have knocked us down with a feather. I mean, we were... We were so scared. And the doctor told us about a procedure that was only being done in, in two states in America. One was Houston, one was Boston. He said, but with this procedure, they would do a slight incision, run this uh, tube up his, his thigh, up into this place where the valve was, set this balloon in here, close it off, a few stitches, and we're out of there. 
Well, Brenda's dad was already planning on buying the airline tickets. We were going to Houston, Brenda and I and Heath. And a couple weeks later, the doctor told us that the FDA put a stop on that. Well, we, we didn't understand what was going on. So he proceeded to tell us about the procedure they would do here at T.C. Thompson. A lot bigger incision under his arm. Go in, tie it off. Sew him up. But the recovery time would be a lot longer. He looked at me and tears coming out of both of our eyes. He said, son, it ain't no big deal. And I thought, that's not your son. And you know where the Bible says about laying hands on someone? I wanted to lay hands on that doctor. <laughs> but I knew he had my son's best interest at heart. He went through the procedure. And let me tell you, when they took him back to the operating room, one of the nurses came and put her arms around Brenda. And both of them just started crying. And through the whole procedure, we had friends and family and people nearby. God knew what he was doing all along. It's our faith that's weak a lot of times. I was sitting in a camp meeting, and a group called the Sugar Grove Singers, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but sang this song. God, give me this song. And uh, there's nothing takes the place of preaching. We have the best preaching ever right here. But sometimes there's something in a song that will stay with you and help you through some of life's trouble. I want you to listen to this song. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. The name of the song is The Mind of Christ.
Let's stand as we open our Bibles to John 19. Some folks are praying, want them to pray as long as they want to. I promise you, the Lord never makes a mistake. Dale, when he was telling about the story of Heath there, and I appreciate him telling about that, I thought about a story I read one time about a missionary couple that was on the field. And of course, the missionaries, they received their funds from the states, and so the money comes in. Well, one particular month, uh, their money didn't come in. So they didn't have any funds. They didn't know what had happened to the money and whatever there. And on top of that, they both were sick. They just put it in the hands of the Lord and, and just trusted the Lord with it. Well, the money didn't come in for another month, and so all that they could do was just live on oatmeal and milk. That's all they had to their name was oatmeal and milk for the next month until their money came in. Well, several years later, when they were home on furlough, they were telling the story of how God took care of them and how that they'd had some difficult times. They told the story about the time that the money did not come in, and they were sick and needed medicine and things, and... All they had to their name was oatmeal milk, but the Lord brought them through it and took care of them. Well, after the service, there was a doctor in that service, and he walked up to them and asked them, 
and a little bit about their sickness. They had told a little bit about it in their testimony. And so he asked them a few more questions. And then he told them, he said, from what I understand you're saying, you had so-and-so and so-and-so. If you had been my patient, I would have put you on a diet, 30-day diet of oatmeal and milk. Amen? I'm saying to you, the Lord makes no mistakes. He knows what he's doing, and he knows how to take care of us. you believe that? While they're praying, maybe somebody would like to give a word, a testimony tonight of the goodness of God in your life. I love to hear people tell about God's goodness. <laughs> Amen. Sure. Always. Yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Sure. Amen. Amen. Raymond mentioned being cleansed. It made me think of something someone gave me this morning. A lady that had recently accepted the Lord in her life was asked by a co-worker what it was like to believe. And she said, it's like being a pumpkin. God picks you from the patch, brings you in, washes all the dirt off you that might have gotten from the other pumpkins. Then he gets inside you and scoops out all the yucky stuff and he removes the seeds of doubt, hate, and greed. And then he carves you a new smiling face and puts his light inside of you to shine for all the world to see. Amen. <laughs> That's what the Lord does for us. Amen. Someone else real quickly before we look in the scripture tonight. Anybody else real quickly? It's one. Brag on the Lord. That's you, Denny. Right, sure. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Anyone else? It's Carrie. Sure, he does. Sure, sure. Sure. Amen. Absolutely. You always want to do what he wants. He'll always guide you. Amen. Anyone else? Real quickly. Real quickly. Travis? Sure. All the time. <laughs> sure. Amen. Amen. Yeah, they told me the teenagers had a time last night. Anyone else, real quickly? Look in the message. Sure. Amen. Sure. Praise the Lord for His grace. And He always knows what to give us. And we'll say more about that in a minute. He always knows what to give us when we need it. Amen. Anyone else? 
I'm going to look in the scriptures. <laughs> yes. Praise the Lord. Oh, Leonard's a blessing to us, isn't he? Amen. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Yes. Right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I like that, don't you? Amen. Praise the Lord. He knows just what we need. Amen. Anyone else? Mike. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Is there somebody back here? Yes. Amen. Sure. Amen. He certainly does. Amen. Anyone else? John 19. I want you to look at verse 26 and 27. We're looking at the sayings of our Lord on the cross. Tonight we're going to look at the third saying. And when he said, Woman, behold thy son. We find the third saying in John 19, verse 26. The Bible said, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he in verse 27 to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Thank you. you. may be seated. Let's look at the third saying of our Lord on the cross tonight. And let's draw from what Jesus said. We've considered the statement, his first cry was a prayer. And then the one last Sunday, uh, reminding us that God answered that prayer. Let's look at the third one tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, we are so thankful that you care for us. And Father, we have heard of your care here tonight. And as we come to the cross in the saying of our Lord, we see your care demonstrated. I thank you, Lord, that you not only have showed us in the scripture that you, have, that you care, but Lord, you have demonstrated that care in our own personal lives, and we thank you for it. Now, Father, open our hearts. Speak to us now for these next few moments, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, if you've been with us on these Sunday nights, during the hours that Jesus was on the cross, the Bible records seven utterances of our Lord. He could have said more. We don't know. But we do know that there were seven things that Jesus said during those hours that were on the cross. We've looked at two of them. We look at the third one tonight. But I believe these first three, they demonstrate Something about his relationship to us. The first one, as we saw, we saw him reaching up for man. The first words of our Lord on the cross were not directed to anyone on the earth, but they were directed to his Father in heaven. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
You see, the life of our Lord was marked by prayer. He began his public ministry with prayer. He concluded his public ministry with prayer. He talks to the Father. He reaches up for man. He reaches up to God for man. But in the second one, we see him not only reaching up for man, but we see him reaching out to man. Last Sunday night, we looked at Jesus on the cross and the thieves that were on the right and the left. And we saw that there was one who said no or would not believe, but there was one that did believe. And Jesus said to him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So in the first one, Jesus reached up for man. In the second one, he reached out to man. But tonight we come to the third one, and we find him reaching down to man. You find in, in the third saying of our Lord on the cross you find the heart of the Lord Jesus revealed. In fact, you find his heart revealed in all three that we looked at, or the first two and the one tonight. And we see how much he cares. We see how much he cares for sinners. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And to the thief on the cross, and as we saw last Sunday night, we would throw him in the category of being a terrorist, and Osama bin Laden, but yet Jesus loved him and reached out to him and saved him and gave him the assurance of eternal life. But we not only see how much he cares for sinners in the first two, but we see that he also cares for the saints in the third one here. We're very familiar with 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, where the Bible said, casting all of our care upon him, for he careth for us. I'm glad tonight that he cares, don't you? I'm glad that he cares. Many of you have testified about events in your life and trials in your life. But all of you testified of how the Lord met needs in your life during those particular times. He cares for us. And that's why we're admonished to cast all of our care upon him. Let him bear the burden because he cares for us. Well, in John chapter 19, verse 25, you find that there stood by the cross certain individuals. At this time, Jesus had been forsaken by most of those. But you find, or most people, but now you find him in John 19, 25, being surrounded by a crowd. But those that had followed him, there's a very small part of those that are there. In fact, John 19, 25 tells us that there were only five people there. John 19, 25 said, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And verse 26 indicates the disciple standing by. You find these five people there among the throng around the cross of the followers of our Lord. There is Mary, his mother, and we know her as a virgin Mary. There was Mary's sister. The Bible helps us to understand that was Salome, the mother of John, and you might say the aunt of our Lord. There was Mary, the wife, and as we look in the Scriptures, we find that she is the widow of Cleophas. And then there's Mary Magdalene, the one whom had had many devils, and the Lord had healed her and changed her life. And then there was one of the disciples, John, the beloved disciple, as he is often called. As one writer said, in this vast ocean of hate, there was found for Jesus a tiny island of love and understanding. The majority of people had forsaken him, forsaken him in his most needed hour, but there were five that followed their vigil at the foot of the cross. And there were five that were gathered there. To those five, we find the Lord Jesus speaking to two of them. 
And you might say that when he spoke to the two of the five that was gathered there, he was speaking to two that were the nearest and the dearest of all people on the earth. He said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And he said to the disciple, John, behold thy mother. Now, what was Jesus saying in those two statements? What was our Lord saying? I want to draw from the text here and what he said, three things. And I want you to notice these tonight. And the first one is this. I want you to see, first of all, the truth he stated. The truth he stated. Notice in verse 26. The Bible said, And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman. Now let's stop there for just a moment. The first thing Jesus said to his mother was, Woman. He's there on the cross. He has reached up to God for man. He has reached out to man in the conversion of the thief on the cross. And then he sees this handful of followers there at the foot of the cross. And he says to his mother, and he calls his mother woman. What is Jesus talking about? Why did he call her woman? Well, let me just point out two things briefly. One, you see an earthly relationship. Verse 26 said, when Jesus therefore saw his mother. Now, we understand what the Bible is saying when it called Mary his mother. Mary was the one that had been chosen by God. Mary was the one that the angel appeared to in Luke 1 and in the early Gospels and Matthew 2 and so forth and came with the message that thou hast been highly favored of God and informed her that she had been chosen by God. And the child that she was bearing, it was an unusual, unusual circumstances, Mary did not know man, but here she is with child. But she gets the news that the child she is bearing is not an ordinary child, but it is the eternal Son of God, the one that would come to die for the sins of the earth, uh, for the world. And so we find that she was told, Behold, thou hast been highly favored. When I look at that word favored there, it speaks of someone to whom grace has been shown to, uh, toward in a very, very large measure. And I remind you tonight that when Mary was chosen by God, Mary was not chosen because she was anything unique and anything special. She was chosen because of God's grace. And I want you to know tonight that anything God does in our life, it's not because of who we are, but it's because of who He is. No blessing we reap and no blessing we receive and no blessing we enjoy is earned. It is given by the grace of God. We often have the idea that if I do this and I live this way, then God will do this for me. And God will honor the life that we live. And it's part of being used of God. But you've got to remember this. God does not bless us mainly because of what we do. He blesses us because he loves us. And it's an act of grace toward us. But there is this earthly relationship. She was his mother. He had no father, earthly father, but Mary had been chosen by God. She bore the body that the Lord Jesus would. He said, woman. Now, why is that? You not only see an earthly relationship, but second of all, you see an eternal relationship. Now, why did he not call her mother? The Bible said he saw his mother, but instead of saying to her mother, he simply said, woman. I read one writer's comments who said that it was disrespectful on our Lord's part. Well, our Lord never did anything that was disrespectful. 
And it was not a lack of respect on the part of our Lord when he looked down at his mother and simply said, Woman, behold thy son. Now, it was not a lack of respect on our Lord's part, but it was the stating of a truth. You say, what do you mean? You take the word woman for one thing. It was not, it was a, the word woman that is used here, it was actually a term of respect. It was a word that was used or a term that was used to address queens or persons of distinction. And when Jesus called her woman, he is not disrespecting his mother, but really he is honoring her. It was a term of endearing respect. And so Jesus said woman. But it's not so much that he was respecting her, even though he was. But there was a truth that our Lord was stating when he called her woman. In fact, if you look in the Bible, you'll find that on two different occasions in the Bible, we hear our Lord speaking to his mother. One is in John 2, verse 4, when he began his public ministry, really the first miracle of his public ministry. And the second one is here in John 19, 27. And on both occasions in the Bible that we actually hear Jesus saying something to his mother, both times he calls her woman. Again, he called her woman at the beginning of his public ministry, and now he calls her woman at the conclusion of his public ministry. Now, what is our Lord saying? He does not say mother, woman. Why? Because in both cases, Jesus is reminding Mary, his mother, that he is more than her son. He is her Savior. When Jesus said woman, used a term of respect because of who she was. But Jesus was not saying mother. He is reminding her at the very beginning of his ministry, I am more than your son. I must do my father's business. I am your savior. And now in his dying hours, once again, he reminds Mary, I am more than your son. Yes, I am your son. But even more, I am your savior. Once Mary had gone into the valley of the shadow of death to give him physical life, but now he is going through the valley of the shadow of death to give her spiritual life. And when he looks down, he calls her woman, reminding her that I am your Savior. Now, there are many that have the ideal, have a, have a, have a perverted ideal of Mary. I brought a message here one time about Mary, the woman that teaches us that God is able to do the impossible. And I talked about Mary a little bit. And it's very interesting how little the Bible has to say about Mary. Very little the Bible says about Mary. But there are those who have taken what little is said and then twisted then added a lot of things to it that have put Mary into a position that Mary really doesn't deserve to have. There is those that have, we have, because of their teachings about Mary, we have Mariolatry. And Mariolatry, uh, the Roman Catholic Church would talk about how she's the queen of heaven and how she's the mother of God. And from that is involved all kinds of dogmas such as the Immaculate Conception, saying that she, Mary, was born without original sin. And the perpetual virginity of Christ, uh, denying her the role of a natural uh, birth or natural motherhood. And even the assumption of Mary, that Mary did not die, but was taken alive up into heaven. None of that you find in the Bible. None of that is taught in the Word of God. In fact, when Mary received the news that she was going to have a child and received the news who that child was, Luke 1, 46 and 47 said that she magnified her Savior. You see, Mary, like me and like you, was a sinner. 
Mary was a sinner that would have died in her sins and went to hell if it had not, not been for the fact that Jesus had died as her Savior. And on the cross, he is reminding her, I am your son, but more so, I want you to understand, I am your Savior. I remind you tonight, thank God, every one of us, we have a Savior. We're sinners, yes, it's like Mary. And if we die in our sins, we go to hell. But thank God Jesus died on the cross as our Savior. And so we find a truth that he stated. At the very beginning, he's letting it be known. I am your Savior. But look at the second thing. You not only see a truth he stated, but you also see the tenderness he showed. For he says, woman, behold thy son. In that one statement there, you find the compassion of our Lord. As I said, he reached up for man, and he reached out to man. Now he reaches down to man. This is his mother in a sense. He is her Savior, but in a sense, he is her son. So at the beginning, he said, I want to remind you, I am more than your son. I am your Savior, but I am your son. And he says to her, behold thy son. Let me point out two things about that statement. For one thing, it reminds me that he senses our needs. Our Lord is very aware of the needs in our life. Again, he was her Savior, but he was also her son. Now, can you imagine what she is feeling as she stands at the feet of not only her Savior, but her son? Yes, this was Jesus Christ, God's eternal son. This was her Savior, but nonetheless, she had given birth to the one she was watching die on the cross. She had carried him nine months. She had took care of him when he was a baby. He had sucked on her breast. She had cared for him. She had watched over him. She had brought him up as a child through childhood. She had watched him through his teenage years. She watched him grow into manhood. This was her son, and he's being crucified. Now, you can imagine what's going through her heart, just like any mother. Just like any father, just like any parent losing a child, to stand there and watch him be brutally murdered. You can imagine what is going through her heart. But Jesus senses the needs that she has. He knew what she was feeling. So he says, woman, behold thy son. He sensed her need. But second of all, he supplies our needs. For he says, woman, behold thy son. You know what the Lord Jesus did? He was dying as her Savior, but he was also dying as her son. And he sensed the agony in Mary's heart. He sensed the needs in Mary's heart. He sensed what she was feeling. She sent, he sensed the grief in her heart. And what does he do? He puts something in the place to meet that need. He knows that his absence is going to leave a void in his life. So what does he do? In a sense, he gives her another son. In an hour of grief for Mary, Jesus says, Behold thy son. He fills a void that his death and absence is causing in his mother by giving her another son, John the disciple, the beloved one. It reminds me the Lord knows our needs. And the Lord knows what we're going through. We may not know. I may not know all the needs that are represented in this place on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. I know many. You call me. 
We know about your needs. We know about the things that are going on in your life. You stop me. You speak to me. Ask me to pray about this. I know many of your needs. And many times what blesses me, a lot of times nobody else knows about it. When I see some of you rejoicing and see some of you praying, I know what you're praying about. And I know what you're rejoicing about. And it thrills my heart. But I don't always know your needs. And I don't always know what you're going through. I don't know your pain. I don't know your agony. I don't know your suffering. I don't know your heartache. But I'll guarantee you, He knows everything about it. And when there are needs in our life, our Lord knows how to meet those needs in our life. Whether it be a word, as Dale said, through a song, whether it be a word from a friend, a note from a friend, or strength, or grace, or peace, our Lord knows how to meet the needs of our life. And here is Mary hurting because her son is dying, but he gives her someone else to be her son. He meets needs in our life, and I'm thankful for it. All of us tonight, if we gave every one of you the chance to testify, you could all stand up and testify how Christ, how God met needs in very turbulent times in my life. There was a truth he stated, I am the Savior, but there was a tenderness that he showed. But look at a third thing. Not only do you see the truth he stated and the tenderness he showed, but there is the task he shared. For he not only said something to his mother, Mary, woman, behold thy son. But then verse 27 said, he saith to the disciple, he to the disciple, behold thy mother. He meets the needs of Mary, and now before he dies, he has something that he wants to say to the disciple that had been so dear to him. Let me give you two things about it. But one thing, he gave him a task that I want to call a special task. Now think about it. Now what would you think about the mother of Jesus? Now, again, I don't want to uh, put her up here on the pedestal that she doesn't deserve to be. But I'm sure that the mother of Jesus held a dear place, had a special place in the heart of all the disciples. This was the woman God had chose to give as our Savior. The one we have served all these years. This is his mother. So I'm sure just because of who she was, she was dear and special to everybody. Now Jesus is going away. He said he was going away. He's dying. And now he says to John, he said, I want you to do something. I want you to do something for me. This is my mother. Now, I'm giving you the responsibility to take care of my mother now that I am gone. I'm sure the Lord Jesus Christ, all through his ministry, took care of his mother. Now he's leaving, but he assigns that responsibility to John. Now, can you imagine how John must have felt that Jesus himself, he has given me something to do. He's given me a special task. He's asked me to take care of his mother. It was a responsibility and it was a privilege on John's part to care for the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm mindful tonight that Jesus not only gave John a special task, but the truth is he's given every one of us a special task. Do you realize tonight that if you're, the son, you're a son of God, then the Son of God has given you a responsibility or given you a special task? Mine, of course, is preaching the Word of God. That is what He's allowed me to do, and I consider that quite special. 
But I want you to know no matter what he's called you to do and given you to do, it is special because it's what God has given you to do. And I'll tell you something tonight, there couldn't be a greater honor than for him to give us that task. But not only was it a special task, are you with me? It is what I want to call a substitutionary task. What he's saying to John and asking John to do is to take my place. This is my mother. This is the one that gave birth to the body that I live in. This is my mother. Now I'm going away, but I am letting you take care of her. I want you to take my place and care for my mother. He's putting John in the place that he had held for 33 years. It was a substitutionary task. Not only a special task, but he's now becoming the substitute for Jesus Christ. Are you listening to me? I said, God, if we've been given something from God, it is a special task for every one of us. But it's also a substitutionary task. Jesus died, rose again. 50 days later, 40 days later, he rose, he ascended back to the heaven. And when he went away, he left this earth, but his work did not stop. He gave that work to those that were behind or left on the earth. He gathered those disciples out there, and what is the last thing Jesus talked to them about? He said to them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. He is telling them, I'm going away, but now you're taking my place. You go out and tell the wonderful story of my death for you and for the world and tell the story of how that I'll save them. You see, we've been given a special task, but it is a substitutionary task. You might say the torch has been passed on to us. The disciples went out and told the story. And they passed that torch on to the next generation. And that generation told the story. And they passed the torch on to the next generation. And that generation told the story. And they passed it on and passed it on and passed it on and passed it on and passed it on until here we are this particular night in October of 2001. And we're sitting here tonight because somebody told the story. All of us tonight are saved by God's grace. But somewhere God took a human instrument and told us of that saving grace. And somewhere somebody told us what Jesus could do for us. They are serving in his stead. We have that responsibility tonight. We have been placed in the stead of our Lord to tell the wonderful story. One mentioned faith a moment ago. What a blessing it is on Thursday night to come over here and the fellowship hall full of people that are going out telling people about Christ. And by the way, we got about five more weeks left and we're going to be starting again. So you ought to start signing up. Free advertisement. Say amen right there. Say amen right there. Amen. amen. All the faith people said. Amen. amen. Anyway, just thought I'd put that in there. But it's a blessing. We're going out. What are we doing? It's more than being involved in a 16-week semester of faith. It is a task that's been given to us as we go out and tell folks about Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the privilege of telling somebody about the Lord than anything in this world. I remember when I first got saved, and the church I got saved in was a strong soul-winning church, and we started going out. I remember the first time I ever led anybody to the Lord. It's not too long after I got saved. I went out with a young boy that was a couple years younger than me, a preacher boy. 
And I was 16, he was about 13, about 14. He took me out, and we went knocking on doors, and, and we had the privilege of leading somebody to the Lord. And boy, when that first one got in, it started something in my heart. We had all those young preacher boys in the church up there that got saved. There was about 14, 15 of us, and we were all somewhere around 15, 16, 17 years old. Wild as a buck rabbit. Come to church on Sunday. Well, it didn't matter. Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night. You didn't have to sing nine stanzas, Amazing Grace. And you didn't have to whip out an old fast song to get us going. All you had to do is hit a note on the piano, say something about Jesus, and off we went. And we get back here in the prayer room, and it's a little prayer room in the back there. And we get back there praying, and time and time again, somebody throw open that side door. We was right in the middle of town. Throw open that side door, and out in the street we'd go, out there in the middle of the street, shouting about being saved. But going out telling people about the Lord, and the joy of telling people about the Lord. Me and my brother, we used to go to the jails every week, used to go to the rest homes every week. We'd go everywhere we could telling folks about the Lord. I remember one night we went into the jail. My uncle was in jail. And uh, all of my family's, I, I've told you before, we all should have been in jail, at least San Quentin, amen. But anyway, my uncle had got in all kinds of trouble all of his life until that particular night. And I remember we went up there to see him. I heard about him being in jail. I went up there to see him. Went in our little old jail there in the county, had, had four or five little old cells, and then it had a big old cell that they called the tank. And that's where they just throw all the drunks in, everybody like that. And, and if they had or some with special crimes, they'd be over in these cells, but they just throw everybody else in that one big cell. Well, that's back in the days before I'd ever taken a soul-winning class where they told you to conceal your weapon, have a small testament, put it in your pocket so when you go up the steps, they don't know who you are and you won't scare them away. I didn't know that. And we went in there with my Schofield Bible, walked right in the jail, and you're talking about clearing a path in that cell. It did. They all fled and disappeared in the back wall of that cell, leaving my poor old uncle standing there. I started talking to him about the Lord, and we shared with him Scripture, whatever. I went through Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, so, and, uh, and went, went all the way through that thing. He got down, and, and I asked him, I said, would you like to be saved here? He said, no, not here. This is not the place to be saved. Can I? And I turned him to Acts 16 and showed him about a Philippian jailer getting saved in a jail. And I just kept telling him what the Bible said. And I saw him lean over and put his old head down between those two gray bars. And his lips started quivering and his tears started filling up in his eyes. And I said, Harold, would you like to trust Christ tonight? And he said, yes, I would. And I had the privilege of leading him to Christ right there in that old jail. When I got through praying with him, there was an old boy. I looked up, and there stood this old boy. His lips were quivering. He said, I believe I need to do that too. And I led that old boy to the Lord. And I'm God's, I'm, God is my witness. I walked out of there that night, and 13 of those old boys in that jail cell got saved that night. That's a joy. That's not a burden. That's a joy. To realize that Jesus has let me take his place. He's left us all here to go out and tell about the most wonderful story in the world, that Jesus died for our sins. I forget a story I heard one time years ago when I was in school. Dr. John R. Rice was preaching in chapel. And never forget the story that he told. He told about when he was a young preacher. He was in Dallas, Texas, and he went to hear Gypsy Smith preach. Gypsy Smith was a great British preacher. It was a gypsy, got saved. And God used him all over this country as well. 
as Great Britain. But Dr. Rice said, I went to hear him that night and said he talked about winning people to the Lord and said he looked at over that vast crowd that night and he challenged everybody, but when they leave to witness to the first person they saw, Dr. Rice said, I will. I'll go out there. He said, I'm going to witness to the first person I come to. And Dr. Rice said service was dismissed. The Gypsy Smith went out the side and said, Dr. Rice said, I've made my way out of the back of the building and started down the street. And he said, I saw a cabbie on the street corner. And I walked up to him. I said, sir, can I ask you a question? He said, yes, sir. He said, if you were to die today, do you know you go to heaven? He said, his eyes filled up with tears and said, yes, I would. And he said, how do you know that? He said, there's a fellow just come around that church building there, said he was a gypsy, and he told me that Jesus died for my sins, and I just accepted Jesus as my Savior. You see, Jesus said to John, I'm going away, but I'm giving you a task. Take care of my mother. And we have been given that wonderful task of telling others about the Lord. Aren't you glad? Let's stand to our feet.